<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, we're going to talk about private placement life insurance again today. Yes. Um, in a more in a more specific context. And that specific context is this concept that you see going around the internet called infinite banking. So what we want to talk about today is from a lawyer's perspective, does this work? How exactly does this play out? And is it or is it not legitimately something that you can do to finance your own businesses, your own projects, et cetera, without having to rely on a bank? So uh, we're back once again with the inimitable Elizabeth Morgan. I don't remember what that means, but um, <clears throat> that's just the descriptor I chose. But um, <laughs> we're gonna so explain this concept of infinite banking. So basically, to introduce this concept roughly, last time we talked about private placement life insurance. That's where you have a, a private pla- a life insurance policy where you build up the cash value very quickly, so right. that you can then borrow against it. Right. And the reason you're borrowing against it is because. You don't have to pay income tax um, on when you borrow against it, and you can continue to grow that money um, in either the separately managed account or whatever it is, but you can take that money and finance different things in your business or whatever it is. Yeah, or your personal life, a vacation. Or your personal life, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can go to Greece with it. You can. Yeah, and so infinite banking is a concept that you can just continually borrow against that and never have to go to a bank, right? That's right. Well, and infinite banking has another uh, concept built into it, right? So mm-hmm. it's a, it's the idea that you know one generation starts it, they have the cash value, they can pull it out. There's death benefit, that then adds to the pot, right? It becomes this family bank concept. So you're using insurance with death benefit and cash value to build this private family bank. Okay, so explain to the viewer how the death benefit works in that context. How does the death benefit come into play? You're borrowing against the cash value, but the repayment is taken out of the death benefit, right? Right. Exactly. Well, two things can happen. Kind of, let's think about it. Step one, we buy a life insurance policy, and you and I in a second will talk about the different types, generally. Um, The life insurance policy has premium cash that goes in. It grows income tax-free. Then it's pulled out income tax-free if it's structured correctly. It's on a MAC, Modified Endowment Contract. That cash can then be used as a lending vehicle to the family, the family businesses, et cetera. There is an interest component based on the type of product inside the product. But the family also, if it's owning this in a trust or an LLC, and we can talk probably in a later video about how you would structure it, but there could also be a second interest component if you wanted to do that, so that not only is there interest inside of the insurance policy, um, but there's interest in the vehicle itself. So that's a that's more of a family office discussion that we can talk about. But the infinite banking idea is that one generation commits to putting cash into these products. It's growing income tax-free. It's supporting death benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you know, the insured dies, that death benefit stays in the structure, How, whatever the structure is, if it's a trust um, or it's an entity structure owned by a series of trusts. But the idea is it stays in the family. Mm. So it becomes infinite banking mm-hmm. and it's generational. Do you just change the insured then? You just move it to the next generation? Right. So let's say you know I die. And um, so the policies on my life, it comes in as cash, right? If there are policy loans, it gets paid off, 
Um, and then that cash sits there. And the idea with infinite banking is whoever's in charge of the structure is supposed to now buy more policies on the lives of the next generation mm-hmm. or you know, perhaps spouses, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant rolling set of life insurance contracts. <sighs> Hence the name infinite. Infinite. It doesn't ever go away. Yeah. So, um, and w- what are the dangers here? So you exceed the cash value. You borrow too much against the cash yeah, value. Yeah, you could borrow too much. Your costs in the policies are too high. So that kind of leads us to this. You know, how do you structure the policy ownership, right? Mm-hmm. So you have whole life products, and I think we kind of talked about this in our last podcast. But a whole life product is one where the insurance company is the uh, is responsible for the death benefit. So there's a guarantee. They go. They take the premium. They go and invest it. They'll usually whole life products have a guarantee built in. So they'll guarantee a certain return, which makes them a really good uh, foundational tool because it's very kind of sure, especially if you use a mutual company. Um, because then the mutual company doesn't have shareholders. It's owned by the policy mm. owners. So assuming that the company is doing a good job investing, then they return the guaranteed amount plus additional amounts if they do well in the It's like a bond, sort of. Kind of, get, yeah. yeah. Like, um, Guaranteed it's, contractual it's, return. Exactly. Um, so that's a whole life product. Um, those products are fantastic and foundational. The challenge is that when you borrow from them, most of those contracts, the borrowing rate is about what the crediting rate is. Hmm. So if I borrow and my cost to borrow is 5%, but I'm being credited 5% or that's my guarantee, then that means that I'm not making money in the policy. What do you mean by being credited? So it gets credited? um... So in a guaranteed product or even in a whole life product, the product is making money, right? Because the company's investing the pooled account. Mm -hmm. You're being credited as a policy owner based on your contract. So the company will guarantee a certain return, just depending. And then there's an additional amount if the investments do well, but it's the company that's doing the investing, right? The insurance company. The insurance company. So my borrowing rate, if it's four or five percent, but I'm only making four or five percent on my cash, that means that I'm not making any additional money in the policy. Okay. So you've just stalled the growth entirely. Right. Because you borrowed against it. But it might be fine because you wanted to use it as an investment vehicle anyways. Right. But when you think about the way you're modeling the policy, you have to take that into account. Because as we discussed last time, the the cost in those policies is based on the corridor. So if I've pulled the cash out, stalled the growth, right, then that means that eventually my cash is going to start to diminish which increases the cost in the policy, and it could be a policy that, uh, you know, collapses. Mm. So that's a risk mm-hmm. of those types of products. Coming from whole life, then you go into a variable contract. A variable contract has investments underneath, which is not unlike a whole life product, and they can have guarantees built in as well. It's much more retail, but the. Uh, policy owner is responsible for picking the investments. So the risk there is that the policy owner does a terrible job. You know, the question is, who do you think Mm. does a better job, the insurance company or the policy owner, picking 
you know, mutual funds and investments that are going to work, right? Um, Those products will have a borrowing rate that, you know, probably is about the same as a whole life product, um, but not quite as high because it's going to also credit you for, so in the policy, there's a loan out and there's an asset. Same with the whole life product as well. It's just a question of how much are they crediting you on that note. Does the borrowing rate always equal the crediting rate? No. It so doesn't. sometimes they're different. Sometimes they're different. Because right. the insurance company probably arbitrages a little right. bit between those right. rates. Exactly. Yeah. So then when you get to private placement on the uh, the furthest side with the most cash, typically we see a borrowing rate of you know, let's say the borrower is paying you know, four and a half percent, and the crediting rate's four percent. That's a very typical amount in a private placement contract. The 50 basis points is really just what the company is charging to administer the right. loan. Right. Right. So when you the think bookkeeping about of it. bookkeeping yeah. and all of that, so you think about that difference, you're not really stalling. You only have a, you know, 50 basis point difference. So your crediting rate is particularly high. Um, so it's almost a wash. Hmm. Uh, so when we're thinking about infinite banking, from my standpoint as a, as a planning attorney, I want to make sure that I understand all of those dynamics because when I have somebody who's actually going to borrow you know, out of the policy, I want to make sure I know what the economics are going to look like. And it's really important to model that or illustrate that at the beginning if you know that's what you're going right. to do. Right. But 50 basis points is better than 6%, 6%. right? Which is what you'd have to get if you went gotten right. or if you just went to a regular bank and got a loan. So right. Right. really e- yeah, yeah, even in even in a whole life right. you know, situation. Now the other thing too is that you can go and have a collateral assignment of a policy and then get a kind of lower interest rate from a bank. So on top of being able to pull it out yourself, banks and you know, lenders will lend on cash value and life insurance because it's ca- you know cash value. Mm-hmm. So there's the infinite banking means that these types of assets are very bankable, or you know, I don't know if lendable. <laughs> lendable. Lendable is like a word. Fungible. Fung- no, I don't. I don't know. That banks will lend on these products. <clears throat> yeah. Because it's you know it's easy. It's easy to secure a lien, right? You know, it's it's a, it's a box of cash. Yeah, it's yeah. A, well, if it's a variable contract, there's investments, but it's still, you know, they know that there's liquidity. The insurance company is going to make sure it's liquid. Um, so, so uh, the uh, the basic concept behind a cash value, behind the cash value, for if the viewer doesn't understand, is the cash value is the collateral for the insurance company that they're going to take if you stop paying your premiums on the policy, right? So the the concept of getting a high cash value policy is you want to pour a bunch of cash in up front because the whole point is you want to be able to borrow against it as quickly as possible. So you want to keep the fees down. You want to not pay your broker. You want to pay your broker not as little as possible, hopefully. I mean, Sorry, brokers. Them, <laughs> we love you. But if you're from the, <laughs> from the borrower's perspective, right. you want to dump a bunch of cash in so you can borrow against right. it at basically no interest rate. Right. Which, like you just said, there's a little bit that the a servicing fee, basically, that the right. insurance company charges. That the insurance company yeah, will like charge. Like 50 basis points right. or something like that. Exactly. So, um, but if you're, 
how does that work if you're if you pour a bunch of cash in initially? Um, this is probably going to be a stupid question, but if you pour a bunch, let's see, I put three million dollars in first, and that's the cash value. I just put it in to borrow against it. Why didn't I just use the three million to go and do something with it? Well, because this is a different asset class. So I'm putting money in. It's asset protected, right? So let's say that I'm in real estate development, right? If I'm holding it, I'm taking a risk that I could have a creditor who right. could come and take it from me, right? right? Um, some people are worried about the banking system, right? So is that the safest place to hold a bunch of cash? And again, we'll do a video on, you know, too big to fail um, <laughs> banks. Uh, and there's some, you know, reason why people don't want to leave that much cash sitting in a bank account. So now the next question is, what do I do with it? Well, why don't I put it in a tax-advantaged vehicle? What are the options? I could do a retirement plan, like self-directed. I could do, you know, a number of things. But insurance is just another bucket. So I put the cash in. That would be the cash that you're not going to need for a while because there are actually some rules about how long it needs to be in there before you can start pulling it out. So, and it depends on the construction of the policy. So that money, the reason you're putting it there is it's asset protected, right? You've kind of in your own mind defined it as, as being in its own bucket. It then is going to grow on a tax-free tax -free basis and it becomes kind of your future banking, not necessarily your today banking. Mm -hmm. And as we did, we discussed asset protection a little bit in previous podcasts, but the point is you're putting it in a legal box that's protected. So if right. there's a third party creditor, or if there's a divorce, or if there's something like that, it's in a different, a separate legal box. So if you had $3 million, you're thinking, man, I could just take that $3 million and go spend it directly. Right. You know, but in this situation, you're putting it in something where it can grow cat grow tax-free, you can borrow against it tax-free, right? and you can utilize that a lot better so that it continue to grow and then just turn into a much more generational asset that your kids can use and your future company can use, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's, so, it's really I, um So the concept is solid of infinite banking, yeah. but it could, it could be dangerous if you have the wrong policy. Right or policies exactly yeah, or policies right because sometimes they bundle a couple policies together to right do the and the one thing. thing that you know I would say to the people who are listening I mean and seriously this is nothing against insurance professionals but <laughs> you, you know if you think about it the infinite banking concept is you know convincing people to buy insurance over and over and over again which is not in and of itself bad it's just that you have to make sure that the policies are the right ones that the brokers are looking out for your best interest, um, that you understand the commission structure and the way that the policies are being designed. And there are some really good, some really good folks out there who are, you know, shout out to Steve Parisi at IBC Global. I mean, I think he IBC. does a good. Woo! Woo I think he does a good job. And um, and there are other really good, honest folks out there. But I think. The most important thing is if you're going to do infinite banking, it's not a one-trick pony. So now, you know, you and I have talked to some of our clients who were only buying whole life. And as we were sitting there talking to them, it to me seemed clear that they needed to not do three whole life policies. They needed to do maybe two. That's fine. And they needed a private placement policy as well. Right. So what... 
in that particular situation, the broker could only broker whole life. So when we came in saying, we also think you should consider private placement, that was a hard conversation because the broker didn't want to lose that part of the business, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> so I think that's... The broker know, makes money in private placement too. Well, they, they do, but it's a trail commission and right. not all brokers can broker a variable contract. Right. So that's a different license. Right. So, uh, so what, what I think... All of these things need to be done holistically, not just, you know, it's not a one-trick pony, right? Hmm. You, we need to have all of, you know, infinite banking is a great idea, but we need to make sure that we match the product to the need, and we need various buckets. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, and it's not, you know, domestic versus international or whole versus variable or universal, really the what needs to be looked at is what are the, all the options? You know, what, how many crayons are in the crayon box and which ones do we need to, you know, deploy in this particular situation? Exactly. And first, one reason people are really attracted to this concept is, first of all, because they don't want to pay to borrow money, which is what you're doing with a bank. Right. right. So that's always appealing. The asset protection is appealing. But also, like you said earlier, there's this waning degree of faith in big banks and yeah. how they borrow and how they lend and how risky they are and how they just basically rely on the government to bail them out, et cetera, right. et cetera. So a lot of people, like in my generation, for example, are turning to something like Bitcoin where they can go borrow against their Bitcoin as a solid asset that's Mm -hmm. separated from this whole inflationary scheme and inflationary environment. So regardless of how you feel about fiat currency, et cetera, this concept has been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. This is something that you you can separate yourself entirely from the loan and credit system that exists in kind of centralized banking system and just do this on your own. That's why it's very appealing for a lot of business owners because they don't have to deal with with um, bringing in creditors onto their business. They can just borrow against their policy. Exactly. And, and I think that that's a trend that um, we're, you know, we've been seeing for a while and I, and I think it'll just continue. I mean, unfortunately, our institutions have you know, felt shaky. And um, so, you know, people are looking for ways to not have to rely on those institutions. Now, the thing about infinite banking, you have to, you know, it's a plan and you have to start it and you have to follow it. Right. And and, there's administration involved. Well, and you have to have a lot of foresight to do that. So it's a... I guess the conceptual way to think about it, the picture to think about it would be infinite banking is you being your own bank. If you're going to be your own bank, banks have expenses. You got to right. pay your employees. Yeah. You got to pay your your uh, tellers, whatever they call yeah, tellers. Uh, yeah. And so in the same way, with an infinite banking concept, there are expenses that are continual that you'll have to keep paying to right. keep the policy up to date and keep it clean and keep it so that it actually makes sense to continually borrow against your policy. Right. And if you think about it, the, you know, the challenge to that is the death benefit can get pretty high. And the thing that people need to realize is if I own an insurance policy, that death benefit is attributed to me, right? right? So it's not out of my estate for estate tax purposes, even though it's out of my estate for income tax purposes. So now the next question is how do you structure that? Is it in a family trust? 
in which case you might need an outside administrator because I can't control the you know anything having to do with my a policy on my life right. without causing it to come back into my estate for estate tax purposes. Right. So the structuring of those has the business aspect, it has the income tax aspect, and it also has the estate and gift tax aspect. That's such a good point. And I think that this is something that that obviously we, I'm really glad you brought that up because we work a lot with the estate tax planning and, and doing tax planning generationally. But a lot of people get into the infinite banking concept because it sounds so appealing, but they don't realize that if they own the policy, you have something called incidents of ownership, right. then that death benefit that's could be huge could be $20 million, could be $40 million, could be a massive death benefit. Right. That comes into your state after you die. And if it comes into your state then the, and you haven't done any planning for it, then the government's going to take 40% of it. Exactly. So that's the kind of thing we like to avoid too. And that's the kind of extra layer of planning that we put onto the policies that we do with our clients and the right. planning we do with our clients. If we set up a irrevocable life insurance trust or whatever it is, we add that on because that's a consideration. We don't really want to see um, all the work you put into the policy and all this, the stuff you built your business with have 40% of that go to the government. Right. And ideal. there are all kinds of you know interesting things you can do. Infinite banking tends to be kind of more plain vanilla. We're going to do this for the banking purpose. But there are all kinds of other ways you can do it, arbitrage transactions where you could borrow from a bank to then put the cash in the policy. If the borrowing rate is smaller than Mm. the crediting rate inside the policy, then you've arbitraged those dollars and you're good. You could also lend money from, you know, one trust, let's say a completed gift trust that perhaps, you know, you control so you couldn't really buy it in that in that particular trust. You could lend money to a new trust that works depending on the planning that you're, you know, addressing. So, and and the thing that, you know, you have to be careful of, um, you don't want any transfer for value um, if you're trying to move policies right. around. This because it's Yes, we don't want to have, you know, that income taxable. So, um, whew. So, this, is getting, this is getting advanced. Stop. Well, arbitraging uh, life insurance policies in well, and out of trust. Well, the you know when we're when we're talking about infinite banking, there's you know there's that piece of it, the choice of uh, choice of product, the choice of broker, um, the choice of structure, and then how are we going to finance it? So all of those things, and then what are the tax consequences? of the financing modality that we've chosen. So when you think about it in kind of your Venn diagram, that's kind of what it looks like. And all pieces of that, I think you and I are gonna talk about um, in future videos. Yeah, So. yes. So to summarize really quickly, it is it, infinite banking is a good concept that it we is. endorse, yeah. provided that you have the right policy, provided right. that it makes sense for you specifically, whatever your business is, whatever your life insurance situation is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because, all that actuarial stuff comes into play too. Right. Um, so it does work, and it's like like Elizabeth likes to say, it's another crayon in your crayon box. It's another. It's another. <laughs> <laughs> I love the crayon. Some my analogy. favorite analogy. I love that analogy. <laughs> it just makes me think of like a little kid like drawing a picture for the fridge. Um, yeah, so it's another tool that you can use, definitely, and a lot of our clients do use it, and so right. it's something that we definitely recommend and put it to to put in your toolbox. 
as a business person and entrepreneur, we've especially if from, you're... We've gone from crayons to tools, I just wanted to say. We've mixed the metaphor. Well, crayons are tools, you know. Okay, that's probably true. For some people. For some people. <laughs> some little people. <laughs> uh, so... Yes, infinite banking is a great concept. Uh, Elizabeth already mentioned IBC Global. We work with Deep Parisi a lot and, mm-hmm. and his company that has a fantastic broker of these policies. Um, we also set up policies. We do private placement life insurance. We do your We have life a really good broker. Trusts. Yeah, really we have good a great broker. broker. And if you're interested in this concept, do it right. And right. it's really helpful to have someone like our team on board because we know what we're doing. Elizabeth right. has set up lots of these policies for a lot of very high net worth people. She's seen how they work, how they, um, when they don't go so well, and what the dangers and pitfalls in administration and all this stuff is. Um, right. It's a tremendous asset. We recommend it for basically all of our clients, but it just has to be set up correctly. So it's going to be a link to our website in the description. You can contact us if you're interested in this and get one of these policies set up, and we'd love to um, work with you. So yeah, thanks. That's going to be good. it for this one. Yep, see ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye.